Book Two, Chapter Six of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Two, Chapter Six A Barn. The first care of Camilla was to interest Sir Hugh in the misfortunes of the prisoner and his family, her next to relate the invitation of Mrs. Arlberry, and to beg permission that she might wait upon the lady the next morning, with apologies for her abrupt retreat, and with acknowledgments for the services done to the poor woman, which first the Oxonian and then the raffle had driven from her mind. Sir Hugh readily consented, blaming her for supposing it possible he could ever hesitate in what could give her any pleasure. Before the tea-party broke up, Edgar returned. He told Camilla he had stolen away the instant the dinner was over, to avoid any mistake about the poor people whom he had just overtaken by the park-gate, and conducted to the great barn where he had directed them to wait for orders i'll run to them immediately cried she for my half-guinea is in an agony to be gone the barn my dear mr mandelbert exclaimed sir hugh and why did you not bring them to the servants hall my little girl has been telling me all their history and god forbid i should turn hard-hearted because of their wanting a leg of mutton in preference to being starved though they might have had no great right to it according to the forms of law which however is not much impediment to the calls of nature when a man sees a butcher's stall well covered and has got nothing within him except his own poor craving appetite which is a thing i always take into consideration though god forbid i should protect a thief no man's property being another's whether he's poor or rich he then gave Camilla three guineas to deliver to them from himself, to set them a little a-going in an honest way, that they might not, he said, repent leaving off bad actions. Her joy was so excessive that she passionately embraced his knees, and Edgar, while he looked on, could nearly have bent to her his own with admiration of her generous nature. Eugenia desired to accompany her, and Indiana, rising also, said, dear i wonder how they will look in the barn i should like to see them too miss margland made no opposition and they set out camilla leading the way with a fleetness that mocked all equality ran into the barn and saw the whole party according to their several powers enjoying themselves the poor man stretched upon straw was resting his aching limbs his wife, by his side, was giving nourishment to her baby, and the other child, a little boy of three years old, was jumping and turning head over heels with a true glee of unspoilt nature, superior to poverty and distress. To the gay heart of Camilla, whatever was sportive was attractive. She flew to the little fellow, whose skin was clean and bright, in the midst of his rags and wretchedness, and, making herself his playmate, bid the woman finish feeding her child, told the man to repose himself undisturbed, and began dancing with the little boy, not less delighted than himself at the festive exercise. 
Miss Margland cast up her hands and eyes as she entered, and poured forth a warm remonstrance against so demeaning a condescension. But Camilla, in whose composition pride had no share, though spirit was a principal ingredient, danced on unheeding, to the equal amaze and enchantment of the poor man and woman, at the honour done to their little son. Edgar came in last. He had given his arm to Eugenia, who was always in the rear, if unassisted. Miss Margland appealed to him upon the impropriety of the behaviour of Camilla, adding, "'If I had had the bringing up a young lady who could so degrade herself, I protest I should blush to shew my face. But you cannot, I am sure, fail remarking the difference of Miss Lindmere's conduct.' Edgar attended with an air of complacency, which he thought due to the situation of Miss Margland in the family, yet kept his eyes fixed upon Camilla, with an expression that, to the least discernment, would have evinced his utmost approbation of her, his innocent gaiety. But Miss Margland was amongst that numerous tribe, who, content as well as occupied with making observations upon others, have neither the power nor thought of developing those that are returned upon themselves. Camilla, at length, wholly out of breath, gave over, but perceiving that the baby was no longer at its mother's breast, flew to the poor woman, and taking the child in her arms, said, "'Come, I can nurse and rest at the same time. I assure you the baby will be safe with me, for I nurse all the children in our neighborhood.' She then fondled the poor little half-starved child to her bosom, quieting and kissing and cooing over it. Miss Margland was still more incensed, but Edgar could attend to her no longer. Charmed with the youthful nurse, and seeing in her unaffected attitudes a thousand graces he had never before remarked, and reading in her fondness for children the genuine sweetness of her character, he could not bear to have the pleasing reflections revolving in his mind interrupted by the spleen of Miss Margland, and, slipping away, posted himself behind the baby's father, where he could look on undisturbed, certain it was a vicinity to which Miss Margland would not follow him. Had this scene lasted till Camilla was tired, its period would not have been very short. But Miss Margland, finding her exhortations vain, suddenly called out, "'Miss Lindmere, Miss Eugenia, come away directly. It's ten to one, but these people have all got the gowl distemper.' Edgar, quick as lightning at this sound, flew to Camilla and snatched the child from her arms. Indiana, with a scream, ran out of the barn. Miss Margland hurried after, and Eugenia, following, earnestly entreated Camilla not to stay another moment. "'And what is there to be alarmed at?' cried she. "'I always nurse poor children when I see them at home, and my father never prohibits me.' "'There may be some reason, however,' said Edgar, while still he tenderly held the baby himself, "'for the present apprehension. I beg you, therefore, to hasten away.' "'At least,' said she, "'before I depart, let me execute my commission.' And then, with the kindest good wishes for their better fortune, she put her uncle's three guineas into the hands of the poor man, and her own rescued half-guinea into those of his wife. And desiring Edgar not to remain himself, where he would not suffer her to stay, ran to give her arm to Eugenia, leaving it a doubtful point whether the good humour accompanying her alms made the most pleased impression upon their receivers or upon their observer. 
End of chapter 6 Chapter 7 A Declaration At night, while they were enjoying the bright beams of the moon, from an apartment in the front of the house, they observed a strange footman, in a superb livery, ride towards the servants' hall, and presently a letter was delivered to Miss Margland. She opened it with an air of exulting consequence. One, which was enclosed, she put into her pocket, and read the other three or four times over, with looks of importance and complacency. She then pompously demanded a private audience with Sir Hugh, and the young party left the room. "'Well, sir,' she cried proudly, "'you may now see, if I judge right, as to taking the young ladies a little into the world. Please to look at this letter, sir.' "'To Miss Margland, at Sir Hugh Tyrold's, Bart, Cleves, Hampshire. Madame, with the most profound respect I presume to address you, though only upon the strength of that marked politeness which shines forth in your department. I have the highest ambition to offer a few lines to the perusal of Miss Eugenia Tyrold, previous to presenting myself to Sir Hugh. My reasons will be contained in the letter which I take the liberty to put into your hands. It is only under your protection, madame, I can aim at approaching that young lady, as all that I have either seen or heard convinces me of her extraordinary happiness in being under your direction. Your influence, madame, I should therefore esteem as an honour, and I leave it wholly to your own choice whether to read what I have addressed to that young lady before or after she has deigned to cast an eye upon it herself." I remain, with the most profound respect, madame, your most obedient and obliged servant, Alfonso Bellamy. I shall take the liberty to send my servant for an answer to-morrow evening. This, sir, continued Miss Margland, when Sir Hugh had read the letter, this is the exact conduct of a gentleman, all open, all respectful. No attempt at any clandestine intercourse— all is addressed where it ought to be, to the person most proper to superintend such an affair. This is that very same gentleman whose politeness I mentioned to you, and who danced with Miss Eugenia at Northwick, when nobody else took any notice of her. This is—why, then, this is one of the most untowered things, cried Sir Hugh, who, vainly waiting for a pause, began to speak without one, that has ever come to bear for where's the use of eugenia's making poor young fellows fall in love with her for nothing which i hold to be a pity provided it's sincere which i take for granted as to that sir i can't say i see a reason why miss eugenia should not be allowed to look about her and have some choice especially as the young gentleman abroad has no fortune at least none answerable to her expectations but that's the very reason for my marrying them together for, as he has not had the smallpox himself, that is not in the natural way, which, Lord help me, I thought the best, owing to my want of knowledge, why, he'll the more readily excuse her face not being one of the prettiest for her kindness in putting up with his having so little money, being a thing some people think a good deal of. But, sir, won't it be very hard upon poor Miss Eugenia, if a better offer should come that she must not listen to it, only because of a person she has never seen, though he has no estate? "'Miss Margland,' said Sir Hugh, with some heat, "'this is the very thing that I would sooner have given a crown than to have had happen. 
who knows but eugenia may take a fancy to this young jackanapes who for aught i know may be as good a man as another for which i beg his pardon but as he has nothing to me and my nephew's my nephew why am i to have the best scheme i ever made knocked on the head for a person i had as leave were twitched into the red sea which however is a thing i should not say being what i would not do miss margland took from her pocket the letter designed for eugenia and was going to break the seal but sir hugh preventing her said no miss margland eugenia shall read her own letters i have not had her taught all this time by one of the first scholars of the age as far as i can tell to put that affront upon her he then rang the bell and sent for eugenia miss margland stated the utter impropriety of suffering any young lady to read a letter of that sort till proposals had been laid before her parents and guardians but sir hugh spoke no more till eugenia appeared my dear he then said here is a letter just come to put your education to the trial which i make no doubt will stand the test properly therefore in regard to the answer you shall write it all yourself being qualified in a manner to which i have no right to pretend though i shall go to-morrow to my brother which will give me a better insight his head being one of the best eugenia greatly surprised opened the letter and read it with visible emotion well my dear and, and what do you say to it without answering she read it again sir hugh repeated the question indeed sir said she in a tone of sadness it is something that afflicts me very much lord help us cried sir hugh this comes of going to a ball which begging miss margland's pardon is the last time it shall be done miss margland was beginning a vehement defence of herself but sir hugh interrupted it by desiring to see the letter eugenia with increased confusion folded it up and said indeed sir indeed uncle it is a very improper letter for me to shew well that cried miss margland is a thing i could never have imagined that a gentleman who is so much the gentleman should write an improper letter no no interrupted she not improper perhaps for him to write but for me to exhibit oh if that's all my dear said sir hugh if it's only because of a few compliments i beg you not to mind them because of their having no meaning which is a thing common enough in the way of making love by what i hear though such a young thing as you can know nothing of the matter your learning not going in that line nor dr orkborne's neither if one may judge which god forbid i should find fault with being no business of mine he then again asked to see the letter and eugenia ashamed to refuse gave it and went out of the room to miss eugenia tyrold cleves madam the delicacy of your highly cultivated mind awes even the violent passion which you inspire and to this i entreat you to attribute the trembling fear which deters me from the honour of waiting upon sir hugh while uncertain if my addressing him might not raise your displeasure i forbear therefore to lay before him my pretensions for soliciting your favour from the deepest apprehension you might think i presumed too far upon an acquaintance to my unhappiness so short yet as i feel it to have excited in me the most lasting attachment from my fixed admiration of your virtues and talents i cannot endure to run the risk of incurring your aversion 
allow me then once more under the sanction of that excellent lady in whose care i have had the honour of seeing you to entreat one moment's audience that i may be graced with your own commands about waiting upon sir hugh without which i should hold myself ungenerous and unworthy to approach him since i should blush to throw myself at your feet from an authority which you do not permit i beseech you madame to remember that I shall be miserable till I know my doom, but still that the heart, not the hand, can alone bestow happiness on a disinterested mind. I have the honour to be, madame, your most devoted and obedient humble servant, Alfonso Bellamy. Sir Hugh, when he had finished the letter, heaved a sigh and leant his head upon his hand, considering whether or not to let it be seen by Miss Margland who, however, not feeling secure what his determination might be, had so contrived to sit at the table as to read it at the same time with himself. Nor had she weighed the interest of her curiosity amiss. Sir Hugh, dreading a debate with her, soon put the letter into his pocket-book, and again sent for Eugenia. Eugenia excused herself from returning, pleaded a headache, and went to bed. Sir Hugh was in the deepest alarm though the evening was far advanced he could scarce refrain from going to etherington directly he ordered his carriage to be at the door at eight o'clock the next morning and sent a second order a moment after that it should not be later than half-past seven he then summoned camilla and giving her the letter bid her run with it to her sister for fear it was that she was fretting for and soon after he went to bed that he might be ready in the morning eugenia meanwhile felt the placid composure of her mind now for the first time shaken the assiduities of this young man had already pleased and interest her but though gratified by them in his presence they occurred to her no more in his absence with the oxonian she had been far more struck his energy his sentiments his passion for literature would instantly have riveted him in her fairest favour had she not so completely regarded herself as the wife of Claremont Lindmere, that she denied her imagination any power over her reason. This letter, however, filled her with sensations wholly new. She now first reflected seriously upon the nature of her situation with regard to Claremont, for whom she seemed bespoken by her uncle, without the smallest knowledge how they might approve or suit each other. Perhaps he might dislike her. She must then have the mortification of being refused. Perhaps he might excite her own antipathy. She must then either disappoint her uncle, or become a miserable sacrifice. Here, on the contrary, she conceived herself an elected object. The difference of being accepted or being chosen worked forcibly upon her mind, and all that was delicate, feminine, or dignified in her notions rose in favor of him who sought, when opposed to him who could only consent to receive her. Generous, too, he appeared to her, in forbearing to apply to Sir Hugh without her permission, disinterested in declaring he did not wish for her hand without her heart, and noble in not seeking her in a clandestine manner, but referring everything to Miss Margland. The idea also of exciting an ardent passion lost none of its force from its novelty to her expectations. It was not that she had hitherto supposed it impossible, 
she had done less, she had not thought of it at all, nor came it now with any triumph to her modest and unassuming mind. All it brought with it was gratitude towards Bellamy, and a something soothing towards herself, which, though inexplicable to her reason, was irresistible to her feelings. When Camilla entered with the letter, she bashfully asked her if she wished to read it. Camilla eagerly cried, Oh, yes! But, having finished it, said, It's not such a letter as Edgar Mandelbear would have written. I'm sure, then, said Eugenia, colouring, I am sorry to have received it. Do you not observe every day, said Camilla, the distance, the delicacy of his behaviour to Indiana, though Miss Margland says their marriage is fixed, how free from all distinction that might confuse her? This declaration, on the contrary, is so abrupt, and from so new an acquaintance. Certainly, then, I won't answer it, said Eugenia, much discomposed. It had not struck me thus at first reading, but I see now all its impropriety. She then bid good-night to Camilla, who, concluding her the appropriated wife of Claremont, had uttered her opinion without scruple. Eugenia now again read the letter, but not again with pleasure. She thought it forward and presumptuous, and the only gratification that remained upon her mind was an half-conscious, scarce-admitted, and even to herself unacknowledged charm, in the belief that she possessed the power to inspire an animated regard. End of chapter 7